0: Good evening, forecasters. This is Michael Hendricks. Welcome to a special midweek podcast. Uh, this is going to take a little bit more of a somber tone uh, than I would like. Um, but there are uh, some things that I'm going to talk about specifically towards the end of the podcast that just need to get out there. Although this is a political podcast, though this is a presidential forecast, there's an issue out there affecting millions of people. That needs to be addressed. That isn't being addressed. Uh, it is, in fact, in my mind, almost being ignored. But I'll get more to that uh, at the end of the podcast. Uh, just, just to kind of let you know for the for the rest of twenty twenty, um, I will just record podcasts as they come to me. Sometimes, for maybe one or two in a week. Sometimes they may just see one. Maybe there won't be any. Uh, this is kind of how it comes to me. Uh, and then at the beginning of 2021, which will actually start season two of my podcast, I know, really fast, my podcast will all be weekend-based. Um, this has to do with a little project that I'm going to be working on and doing my podcast on. Uh, I do have a little self-promo ad that will play later on in this podcast that will explain exactly why it's going to be a little bit more centered on just one a week and why it's actually going to be starting the new season. So what's going on that has caused me to do this special midweek show? Well, there's a few things. There's a little update on Oklahoma Governor Stipp. Yes, he's managed to do worse in the last couple of days and screw up even more. That's going to lead directly into a new lawsuit that was, that is trying to be filed uh, from Texas seeking to throw out presidential results in other states. And then the final segment of the show uh, that I alluded to just a moment ago is going to focus on the debacle of education this year. But first, let's talk about Governor Stitt. Shortly before his stunt of praying and fasting for one day last week uh, that I mentioned on my podcast uh, that he, I guess, believed that somehow it would eradicate COVID in Oklahoma, he was actually spotted on a plane wearing a mask as mandated uh, that he should on a plane. But he had the mask under his nose, which does absolutely nothing. It it protects no one when you wear the the, the mask. Mask, mask, whatever. (laughs) under your nose. Scientists have been telling us this. Doctors have been telling us this. So why people continue to do this is just beyond me. And, you know, again, with the stupidity of these people, they have made the wearing a mask political. I've mentioned this every time I've talked about it. They have decided that Their line in the sand with all this was going to be masked. These are the people that I believe that during the bombing raids uh, over London, during World War II, they would have refused to turn off their lights. Because they would have felt that would have somehow taken away some right they had. You know... There's nothing in the Constitution that talks about masks. The only mention of the Constitution about welfare is actually in the very beginning of the Constitution, in the preamble, where it talks about our government providing a general welfare for the people of this country. And wearing a mask is just about as much General welfare, welfare as you can do. The, these people, these yeah, I, I named it one of my segments last week, and I'm going to say it out loud tonight. These COVID idiots uh, continue to push their conspiracy theories that COVID is no worse than the flu, though it is magnitudes worse. More people have died from COVID this year than in combined years past with the flu. It's not even close. They will also look you straight in the face and say that the survivability rate is 99%. So what's the big deal? Here here's my thing. It isn't about surviving COVID. It's what happens to your body if you happen to be one of the lucky ones to survive it. And and I'm talking about the ones who actually get sick from it, Uh, not the COVID survivors that never show any symptoms. Um, They're the luckiest of all, outside of the people who never get COVID. I'm talking about the people who actually get sick from COVID and what it does to the body. Our scientists and doctors in the United States and all over the world are still discovering how much COVID screws, uh, screws up your body, messes it up. There are people who have gotten up after surviving COVID and suddenly can't walk anymore. There are people who have survived COVID only to suffer brain damage and can't do things for themselves anymore. And this is something the flu just doesn't do. But hell, they say. 99% of those that get it survive. So stop being so scared and just live your life as if nothing's going on. It isn't about fear. It's anger. Anger at people like these. That believe wearing a mask is a sign of weakness. There are men out there. Who believe that if they wear a mask, they're somehow less manly. And that's just flat out ridiculous. We need leaders that can lead us out of this. And the governor of my state, Oklahoma, Stitt, is not one of them, clearly. So after this, I'm going to move on to the lawsuits uh, that have been thrown out there by a particular. Attorney General of a state that is also under indictment. I'm not exactly sure how long this episode is going to be. Um, As I get deeper, especially in the last segment, I may meander a little bit and go off script. I do have a script that I wrote tonight, uh, but just feeling... Going on my feelings as I read my script I could meander completely off So you may hear a lot more uhs and ums And, and what not throughout this episode uh, But these topics that I'm talking about tonight Are, are just something I, I couldn't wait till Until this weekend to do So Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton Who happens to be under an indictment uh, For secu- uh, for security f- uh, fraud Let me try that one more time He is under indictment for securities fraud. There we go. And this actually started in 2015. He's been under this indictment for five years. And amazingly, he is still the Attorney General of Texas. I guess they can put people to death for minor offenses, but uh, if you commit fraud, you can be in office in Texas. But the AG of Texas has asked the Supreme Court for permission to sue states Georgia, Michigan, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin. All that just happened to be Biden states. Why he left Arizona out, I I, I really don't know. But he what he wants to sue for and what he's actually suing for are two completely different things. What he's saying he wants to sue for is the way they ran their elections. Uh, I E. Mellon ballots. There is still this mindset in the Republican party that Mellon voting is somehow unconstitutional. Uh, I've yet to have anyone that, that argues that be able to point anywhere uh, point to anywhere in the Constitution that says voting by mail is actually unconstitutional. But what he's actually trying to do is get these votes thrown out so that he can override the will of the people in those states and get Trump reelected to the presidency. There's some issues with that, but before getting into the lunacy of this suit and what it could actually do to democracy and to this, in this country, that doesn't seem to be a, a really big issue to Republicans anymore. We need to talk about the fact that 17 states have now thrown their support behind the indicted AG. These states are Missouri, Alabama, Arkansas, whose AG uh, only has a name now because she likes to go on Fox News whenever they'll have her. And I uh, say Fox News with quotation marks. Uh, Florida, Indiana, Kansas, Louisiana, Mississippi, Montana, Nebraska, North Dakota, Oklahoma, surprise, surprise, South Carolina, South Dakota, Tennessee, Utah, and West Virginia. So what do these states all have in common? They all voted for Trump. They're also all run by Republicans. Republicans. The last time I checked, we still live in the United States of America and we still have a constitution. No matter what the Republicans or Donald Trump say. The Republican party for the last, I don't know, six to eight years has called itself the law and order party. How is this suit? that the Texas indicted AG is wanting to file, how is this law and order? This is going to fail. As far right as the Supreme Court has become, they will not allow this suit to go forward. But what if they do? Alright Forecasters, if you haven't heard about Anchor, and by now you should have, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain a few details. First of all, it's free. It's never going to cost you anything to make a podcast on Anchor FM. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you, so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many, many more You can also make money straight from your podcast with no minimum uh, listenership, and it's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. Now, if you're interested in making your own podcast like I've been doing and like some of my friends and family have been doing, you need to download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Again, download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started today. Mm I don't expect the suit to go very far, but what if the Supreme Court allows this to go forward? And what if, even though anything Trump has put his name on, which he has in this case, uh, they at last count are 1 in 51 in lawsuits, but what if the suit is won and the votes of over 10 million people in these particular states are thrown out? Well, the results would not go the way that the MAGA cult expect them would expect them to go. The electoral votes for Biden uh, in a sixty two total would also be thrown out. But this does not mean that Trump would get these votes. Those electoral votes would just go away. Poof, gone. No longer exist. So the new electoral college vote would show Biden would still be leading 242 to 232 if this lawsuit does go through and they win somehow. But no one would have the required votes to become president because those 62 votes would not go to Trump. He did not win those states. And if you throw out votes, you're throwing out the election. You're not just... Saying, well, the the Biden votes no longer count, so Trump wins. That's not how elections work. If you throw out votes, you're throwing out an election, none of the votes count anymore. Period. So what happens if we have a situation where Biden leads 242 to 232, or Trump is even leading, but neither, neither man has hit the required number of electoral votes to become president? It goes to Congress, which would be a whole new crap show. And and this is the, this is the main thing that I'm struggling with since this election. You know, Trump likes to throw out all these false claims and, and, and fake news about how he was leading on election night. Well, yeah. He was, but that's because all the votes had not been counted. Typically, the only time that a candidate is declared the winner the night the election actually happens is when it is a complete runaway win. Now, as we went through all the votes... It turns out that it was a complete runaway win for Biden. But there were extenuating circumstances that millions of people, I believe it was over 100 million people, voted by Mellon this election. And because of the archaic laws that Republicans put in place in certain states, those Mellon votes were not counted until election night. So it took longer for those votes to come in. That's what happens. They did this on purpose. Because they had hoped that the Supreme Court, now packed by uh, far-right-leaning judges, would stop the count on election night and say it's over. But they just keep pushing it. And now they have their cult believing that he did win. And they honestly, they, they look foolish. Now, in 2016, you may be saying, well, Democrats did the same thing. No, Democrats didn't. Uh, Hillary um, gave up the fight for the election the next morning after the election was called. There were no fights getting to the electoral college. We didn't like it we didn't accept it because as it turned out when it came to the popular vote Trump did lose but we didn't file frivolous lawsuits we didn't try to convince governors and legislatures to overturn the votes in Pennsylvania, Wisconsin and, and Michigan we didn't have a state AG trying to get permission from the Supreme Court and it, AG by the way if I haven't mentioned that trying to convince the Supreme Court to allow him to sue three other states because he did not like the results of the election you may always hear that sore loot or sore uh, winners are, are They're being awful losers. They're being sore losers. They won't even admit it. And it's just sad and pathetic at this point. I don't fear them. I'm not scared of what they could do because they're so incompetent in everything they've done. I don't feel bad for them. I don't feel sad for them. They're pathetic. They're pathetic. And this lawsuit is going nowhere because it is the definition of a frivolous lawsuit. It's not going to succeed. I don't expect the Supreme Court to really even take the question up. They may just send out a quick brief that says we're not going to hear this. So up next, uh, a story that is very personal to me, or not a story, but a segment that's very personal to me. And that is education in the middle of a pandemic. Stay with me. Hello, Forecasters. This is Michael Hendricks. Coming in 2021, I will be bringing you a special podcast every week covering every presidential election. That is 58 episodes talking about who ran, who won, and what exactly happened in each of those elections. From George Washington's first election all the way to Joe Biden. Join me to discover that even blowout elections still had drama. Only on the Prez Forecast broadcast. All around this country education is a mess. And it is being screwed up at almost every level. From school districts to states and to the federal government. But who is getting the brunt of the blame when it is getting screwed up? Teachers. I am a teacher, as I said in my previous podcast. I see this day in and day out. Now, I will say, at the particular school I work at and the parents that I have, uh, I am a 5th grade teacher... Uh, my parents for the most part and when I say parents, that, that includes grandparents, guardians, aunts, uncles, whoever is taking care of my kiddos. They have they have been very understanding to this point. They're frustrated absolutely. Uh, there is some fear, absolutely but they are understanding of me as a teacher and my 5th grade team as teachers and our school as teachers they know that we are doing our best and I just want to thank them for that Sorry. Teachers, we have literally been tasked with reinventing the wheel as we go in this school year. Coming up with new ways to try to engage our students. Try to get them to come to class in a virtual setting. And not only come to class, but actually do their work. But it feels like every time that we feel like we're starting to get a handle of the situation, a handle of how to do things, of how to get our students involved and to do what they're supposed to be doing, our districts or our states or sometimes even the cities make a quick decision one day to completely change direction and completely change everything that we've been doing And task teachers with reinventing the wheel again. And this isn't over a period of months, ladies and gentlemen. My forecasters, this is happening in some cases every week. They tell us one thing one week and then completely do something different, want us to do something completely the next week. And teachers are sinking. And we're sinking fast. And then I see these articles um, online, or in newspapers, or I, I watch stories on television, and they're asking the questions. Which I will say they 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 are valid questions, but they're asking questions like, "Where are the kids gone?" or "Why are grades failing?" And here's the answer. Because teachers are being expected to teach virtually, online, to a computer screen, the same way they would teach in a regular class setting. Or, they are expected to teach the same way in a class setting during a pandemic that they would in a regular year. And neither one of those is... Possible. It just isn't. I- I'm sorry to the people above me, to my principals, to the district that you think that this is a possibility. It isn't. Does that mean I'm going to not continue to try? No, I'm going to continue to try to do my best as a teacher to do what I'm being asked to do. I'm just saying what we're being asked to do at this point is an impossibility because this is not a regular year and expecting teachers to teach like it is and thus expecting students to learn like it's a normal year or a regular year this is the reason students are disappearing or the reason that they are failing. Our babies, our our kids, our students. As hard as it is for me to say this right now. And I have a feeling many of my fellow educators would wholeheartedly agree with this. They don't need education right now. I hope you're listening, my, uh, my fellow forecasters. Ladies and gentlemen, they don't need education right now. They need to feel loved and wanted and assured that things are going to be okay. Even if the adults that they're seeing on the screens aren't sure that it is going to be okay. They need to see our smiling faces every day, whether it's in front of a camera or it's in the classroom. This is a lost school year. We have to accept that. This is a lost school year. We have to accept this. We need, as teachers, to be looking out for our kids' well-being right now not whether they understand uh, math or English social studies or science they need to be taken care of they need to know not necessarily that they're safe because we can't guarantee that in a virtual world but that we as teachers are there for them And their health and safety is our number one goal. And this goes for teachers as well. We don't need to be evaluated on how we are performing in a pandemic school year. With with all the stresses that we have in this world, where some of us haven't visited our families in months, haven't seen friends in months. Haven't done anything more than get up in the morning, go to school, and come back at night, and that's it. We have enough stress in our lives right now, just in our just in our lives. Let alone trying to make kids make make sure that our kids are okay, our students. So evaluating us. The same way that you would be evaluate us if this was a normal school year is adding a level of stress that just is not needed right now. I had one teacher friend tell me they don't need to be evaluating whether we're teaching the right way. They need to just evaluate us and just ask us simple questions like how are you doing? Is there anything I can do for you? But that's not what we're getting. We need to be taken care of as teachers. Like I said in the last segment, we're being asked to reinvent the wheel sometimes week after week. And yet all the professional developments that we're having to go through now... And maybe it just feels this way because of the way this year is. But it feels like I've gone through more professional developments in this half of a school year than I have my entire career combined. But all the professional developments we're taking is talking about how to take care of our children's emotional needs, which is needed. But virtually none of the professional development is about how the districts can take care of the teachers' emotional needs. Our administrations all over this country, whether it's a large school district or a small school district, they need to be building teachers up. Not putting unattainable goals in front of us. Why give us that extra level of stress in the middle of a pandemic? Which leads me to my next point. Most school districts around the nation are about to close for two weeks for the holidays. And I, I, I fear, I'm afraid, and I can almost guarantee... If I were a betting man, I would have a bet that when we come back from the holidays, we're going to realize a lot of teachers didn't come back. Two weeks is a long time to sit at home and stew over and think over and lose sleep over. Do I even want to go back? I mean I know the answer for me. I'm coming back. I'll be teaching come January 4th. That's a guarantee. That's a lock. But there's a lot of teachers in this country and I would put them I would I would put the number at millions. That when school districts come back after the holiday break, millions of teachers will not be coming back. And that will put an even bigger strain on every single school district around this country. And another thing, forcing us to be at our schools, forcing us to be in empty classrooms with empty, uh, with empty desk is absolutely traumatizing. And I don't understand how our leaders don't see that. It's bad enough that we're we're teaching virtually right now, which I understand why we're teaching virtually, and I support the decision to teach virtually. But then forcing us to go back into our schools, back into an empty classroom with completely empty desks that are set up for so uh, for social distance teaching is a traumatic event and we're having to do it every day of every week. Monday through Friday. And there's just absolute... uh, (sighs) There's no logic behind that. There... There is nothing that any administrator, any person that's in a higher position than a teacher can look me in the face and give me a reason to make me understand why it's better for us to be in our empty classrooms with empty desks and empty chairs than at home teaching our children. I'm going to do the same job regardless of where I'm at, but at least at home. I don't have to stare in an empty classroom. I don't know what the solution is, but I know what's going on right now isn't the solution. Trying to teach these kids and keep their attention virtually is not working. Trying to teach these kids and keep them focused in a classroom that is set up to socially distance to keep them anywhere from three to six feet apart That they have to wear masks all day long except for three 10-minute breaks. Isn't working. Having half the kids come to school on two days and the other half come on another two days isn't working. This is a lost school year. We need to be focusing on their emotional health. Not whether or not they can cite text. Or multiply decimals. (sighs) Good night, forecasters. Take care of yourselves and your loved ones. And always remember, wear your mask.